That's today, right? October 9th. You guys ready for this new series? That's good. Maybe you grew up hearing the song or singing it like I did. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Right? We know that, right? We know that Jesus loves us because the Bible tells us that. And for a simple faith, that's a, that's a good foundation, a good start. But, but as we get older, we're all like, is it just because God says so? How do we know that he actually said it? That it got passed down to us in a way that doesn't have contradictions or errors in it? How do we know that this is actually what God said? I think we have questions about it, and we should have questions about it. One atheist, Sam Harris who's one of the leading atheists today, he says, tell a devout Christian that his wife is cheating on him or that frozen yogurt can make a man invisible and he's likely to require as much evidence as anyone else. But tell him that the book he keeps by his bed was written by an invisible deity who will punish him with the fire of eternity if he fails to accept its every incredible claim about the universe and he seems to require no evidence whatsoever. Shots fired, right? Yeah, and it seems that way, like, oh, we don't need evidence to know that God actually says this. I believe that that childlike faith of for the Bible tells me so isn't enough. I actually think that we need to grow up in our faith. And I had to do this personally. I remember in high school, there was a best-selling book that came out called The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. And I read it. I devoured this book. And it made me question a lot about where we got the Bible. Some of you read the book. Some of you watched the movie, and you remember it because Tom Hanks had great hair in it. Remember that? Do you remember that mullet thing? It's bad. But you saw that movie, and maybe that made you start to question the Bible. Some of you have these questions that, that you're afraid of, like, oh, no, because the first time you hear those, it's almost like breaking down your faith, like, oh, no. Like deconstructing, oh, no. But I think we need to, in a sense, deconstruct that childlike faith so we can build it on something more mature because there is evidence. There are answers to those tough questions if we seek them out. That's what I did. I started reading like crazy and studying this topic of where we got the Bible and, and how we got it is probably my favorite subject. I have studied it more than almost anything else. I love it. And that's why I think that we all need to build up our faith again on God's word, how we got it and what's real. And that's what this series is about. We're asking the tough questions. We're asking the tough questions. Is it old and outdated? We'll cover today. Does it have errors and contradictions? Did it get passed on like telephone and something was lost in translation or in transmission? We're gonna ask those questions. So this is a four-week series starting today, and I'm telling you that because I want every single one of you, whether this is your first time or whether you're regular here or you're watching online, somebody shared this with you, I want you to commit to all four weeks. That's not a huge ask. You can do this. If you're church shopping, just check us out for four weeks, okay? Then leave, okay? Maybe don't leave. We want you to keep coming, but at least give us four weeks. Test it out. Stick it with it through the series because we're not going to be able to answer every question in four weeks, and even, especially not in one week, right? We're going to need to build on it in this series. It really does build on itself. And then something special that we're doing for you guys on October 23rd, that night, it's two weeks from today, it's going to be that night at 6 p.m. on October 23rd, we are bringing in the world-renowned Dr. Craig Blomberg. Okay, this guy is a genius. He was one of my professors at Denver Seminary, just retired. He's written a bunch of books. If any of you have read the book, like, Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, this is one of the guys that gets interviewed, okay? He's that much of an expert on the Bible, world-renowned. And he was one of my professors, brilliant. I've read a bunch of his books, but he's going to be here, guys. And he's going to give a special seminar on how we got the books of the Bible. Like, are there these extra books that should have made it in? Does the church have a conspiracy? He's going to answer those questions. In his talk that night, we're going to stream that as well. And then you can ask him your questions 
you have some questions that we're not covering, come here and ask him. And he, as the expert, will, will try to answer your questions. I, I think he will. He's awesome. So make sure you guys are here for that. Plan it right now. Get it on your calendars for October 23rd. And then we're going to wrap up the, the series the next Sunday. So four weeks, commit to it. If you are traveling, you know you're going to be gone. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe to your podcast app, whatever it takes, just so you make sure you get all four of the weeks of this series. It's worth your time because if this is God's word, it's worth knowing. It's worth knowing. So today we're going to tackle the first question, which is, is the Bible outdated? Is the Bible outdated? Is it old? Is it too traditional, left in the past? I mean, it was written thousands of years ago. How could it apply today? It's a really good question, and I think a lot of us just think, well, we have so much advanced technology. Science is better than it was in the past. We as a society have progressed farther, so shouldn't we just throw out this old, outdated book? How could it apply today? How could it be relevant for me in my life? So this is the question we're tackling today, and we're going to tackle this because I really do think there are three main reasons why people say the Bible is outdated. Three main reasons why they say the Bible is outdated, and I would say that they are science, self, and sex. In my conversations with people, things I've read, talked with you, talked with non-believers, they're like, yeah, these are the three big things that people struggle with when it comes to the Bible. And before we can talk about like where we got it and the error, are there any errors in it, we're going we're gonna to get to that. But today we're going to focus on, is it, is it outdated? Have modern science, our, our modern view of self, and our modern understanding of sex, have they made the Bible out? Dated. You guys ready for this? Good. So let's talk about this first one, science. Science. People look at the Bible and think, well, that was in the pre-scientific era. That was before the Copernican Revolution, right? They didn't even think that the earth, or they thought the sun revolved around the earth, right? It was so long ago, they didn't have Albert Einstein, they didn't understand the things we did, and because of the science and technology we have today, how can we trust something that is so ancient, This is the first kind of theoretical reason why a lot of people think the Bible is outdated. And um, it's really helpful um, to to ask this question because when you actually dive into it, and we did a whole series on this. If you might remember, back in 2019, we did a series called God and Science. You can go check out that whole series as well. Watch right now first. But is when you look at the science, people look at things in the Bible, and I, I just want to tell you guys up up front, that this is not a science textbook. Did you guys know that? I don't know if you knew that. This is not a science textbook. That's not what it's about. <laughs> it's not what it's about. So, but yet people look at it and they read things like there's some scripture that says that the sun runs through the sky. And they're like, see, pre-scientific, they didn't understand anything, throw it out. Because we know, I've heard people say that, we know that now, The earth revolves around the sun, okay? They had it backwards, so everything is backwards there. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever used the word sunrise or sunset? No? No, yes, I think you have. Even my weather app says sunrise and sunset. But we know the sun doesn't actually rise or set, does it? We're spinning around. So it's not that the Bible is ignorant. Maybe we're the ignorant people, right? So already that's that's foolish. And there are things like, Poetry? Have you heard of that? Like, sometimes there's poetic language and metaphors. we got to actually read the Bible for what it truly says. But maybe the big thing that people struggle with, and I'll just kind of focus on one area of science that people focus on, is evolution. 
People say, because we now understand that Charles Darwin has studied this and we've advanced it, there's molecular biology, and it shows that, that there's this biological evolution so that we as human beings actually originated from apes, and before that, way back when, amoebas, that you don't need a God anymore. And the Bible tells us that God created human beings, so therefore, in our scientific day and age, let's throw out the whole Bible. Okay, I want to attack this from a few different angles. First off, um, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created human beings. And there's a verse, I want you guys to just see one verse that ca- characterizes Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created human beings in a special divine act. Human beings alone are made in God's image. Not animals, not even chimpanzees, not your best friend dog, not even your fish, I'm sorry. Okay, only human beings. So the Bible clearly teaches that, but it doesn't really tell us how God did it. There was a bang, but <laughs> we're not told how God did it. We're not told how. And it says that God created in six days, but we're not told what happened on those six days. Just that he speaks and things are created. Could it be that God could work really fast? Like if he has the power to create something out of nothing... Couldn't he just make everything really fast? Couldn't he also have made things with a history? J.R.R. Tolkien somehow wrote this book about Lord of the Rings with Middle Earth that has a whole ancient history. And even now, some of you are watching the Amazon series that cost a half billion dollars that's based on the history of the books he wrote. And if a human author can write a story with a history, can't God create a universe with a history? Like, it doesn't seem like too far outside of his powers, right? So I'm saying that because we're not told exactly how God created human beings, but we are told that he created human beings in his image. And let me tell you, you don't have to be a scientist to know that there are differences between human beings and animals. You might love your best friend, Labradoodle, but he doesn't love you back. Okay, I'm I'm on it, just being honest. You might think they have emotions, but they are not as smart as human beings. We all know that human beings have a higher intelligence, that there is something different about us, a level of consciousness that no creature on the entire planet has. And science cannot explain that. The Bible actually explains it better. (laughs) And here's the other thing. If you have that scientific worldview, purely scientific, that evolution determined everything, then you have the idea of survival of the fittest. Do you know who believed in survival of the fittest maybe the most over the last hundred years? A guy by the name of Adolf Hitler. Thank you, Ryan. He is a professor. He's jumping in. He's got that. Adolf Hitler, survival of the fittest. He looks at it and he says, well, we only have the fit people survive, so therefore, if you are a homosexual or handicapped, let's just kill you. And he did, to the tune of 11 million human beings. But if it's survival of the fittest, why does it matter? But it wasn't just Adolf Hitler. There was a whole bunch of atheists, and this is less than 100 years ago, guys. We're not that far removed from this. There was Adolf Hitler, 11 million. Joseph Stalin, 6 million. Mao Zedong killed somewhere between 30 and 40 million of his own people because they believed survival of the fittest. Human beings are just like the animals. Why not slaughter them? That's what a scientific understanding, and that's all you have, gets you. We love to talk about human rights today, but human rights do not exist at all if we are just coming from the amoebas. Seriously. Why should we treat anybody with dignity and respect? But we do that because of this, the Bible. 
from page one, it said men and women, all human beings, no matter their skin color, no matter their age, ethnicity, background, no matter even their sexual preferences, God created everyone in his image, right? And everyone is deserving of dignity and respect, even if you don't like them. If you want to have human rights today, which I think we all do, you need the Bible. So why am I saying this? Because the Bible actually works better than science. And I don't know if you knew this. If, if you guys went to college like me and tried to afford your science textbooks, they're like 200 bucks a piece, you know? And yes, it might be a great grand scheme to, to make money and put you all into debt. But you have new science textbooks. You can't even buy them used because every year there's a new edition. Like you can't use the 11th, you need the 12th. Because science keeps changing. The word science by definition is knowledge and our knowledge keeps growing, changing. Our understanding of everything keeps changing. Science is one of the, the most changing things we have in our world. Go back a couple years ago. Don't wear masks, wear masks, okay? Not those masks, okay? Get six feet apart. Okay, actually, maybe not six. We're just made up that number. Like, our understanding keeps changing, doesn't it? We know that we've lived through the last two years, and we still haven't figured out how to get rid of COVID, have we? Still haven't. So why am I saying this? Our understanding of science keeps changing and changing and changing, and that's by its nature, science. If you build your life on science, it will always be changing all the time. It's like quicksand. You never know enough. Never have figured it out enough. There's a great... Um, professor, he's a, a doctor, an MD, and he teaches medical history at the University of Maryland. And this is what he says. He says, as a medical historian, it is patently obvious to me that future generations will look at what we're doing today and ask themselves, what was grandpa thinking of when he did that and believed that? And, if we can go on, and they'll have to learn all over again that science is imperfect and to maintain a healthy skepticism about everything we believe and do in life in general, but in the medical profession in particular. I love it when people are honest, right? Brilliant people realize that science and medicine changes all the time. Our understanding changes all the time. We should be humble about those things, and those things are not a basis for our lives. The Bible is unchanging. It is perfect. And it is a foundation that we can rely on. God's word never stops working. God's word never stops working. So that's the first thing. We've looked at science. Science is good. And I do want to say this. Science will never contradict the Bible. It won't if you understand the Bible and you understand science. It just won't. It just won't. But the science, we've seen that first. With our first area that people say the Bible's outdated, uh, science, not a good foundation. The Bible actually makes it. It's good. It works. It works. So the second area, let's get a little more personal. Self. I would say with the modern understanding of the self, of the person, we look at the Bible and think, I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. We want to determine for ourselves what is right. It's following yourself, following your heart. We sing songs about this. Listen to your heart. Right? You think Sam will let me in the band with that? Yeah. Listen to my heart. Go with what you feel is right. Go with your gut, right? Your instinct. You just know what's right. This is what we say. Yourself determines what's right and the path you should take. But man, myself gets it wrong all the time. Maybe you too? Have you ever been wrong about something? I know 
that my heart tells me when I get on the scale in the morning that I need to lose some weight, right? It's what I feel. Yet as soon as I see that donut, I feel something different, right? And it's not just with donuts. It's with jobs, right? Have you ever had, tried a job and be like, I thought this was the thing I want to do? This career, that's not it. Have you ever tried a person? Oh, this is the person. They're the one. No, they're not. Yes, we've all done that, right? We've all made decisions that we regret. Every single one of us should look back at like a decade later, look at ourselves a decade later, and be like, what was he or she thinking, right? How could they think that way? How could they believe that and do that kind of thing? If you just look at yourself 10 years from now, we all know that ourself gets it wrong. <laughs> so if yourself is the highest and greatest good, man, it's going to lead to a bad life, a bankrupt life, a lot of broken relationships because of this. I just felt like she was the one. Well, you already had a one, right? That's what leads to brokenness when you follow your heart. It doesn't really work out when you follow the modern view of the self. But let's see what the Bible says about yourself. It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is what the scriptures tell us. That your heart, man, it changes one day to the next within one day, doesn't it? This is right, this is wrong. I don't even know. Feels right in the moment. Oh, that was a bad decision, right? This is what our hearts do. And they're deceitful. They even deceive us. Oh, yeah, we'll lie to ourselves. You made a great decision. Just go with it. No, it ruined your life. And sometimes we were so arrogant, we try to defend what we did. Let's just be honest. The Bible gets it right here when we're talking about the self. That maybe when, when Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him, it's a better way, a better life. That we need to understand our heart is deceitful and we need God to change our hearts. And we need him to guide us because we have no clue what we're doing in the moment. We need his way, which is always right. So we've already seen with point number one, science, well, God's word works better. When it comes to self, God's word works better. And let's get even more personal. You guys ready? Sex. Let's talk about sex. I don't, I'm not going to sing that one. <laughs> Bob. Okay, let's talk about sex. So what does our society say? Well, we've progressed, we're modern, we know better than people did in the past, we have all sorts of things. I've even heard that our society now is sex positive. Like that's the, the way we phrase it. Oh, we're so much more positive about sex today than people were repressed in the past. Um, that, that we gotta just throw out everything the Bible says. And this is how people live too. This is how people live too. And I could talk about a hundred different avenues with sexuality and we could be here for an entire series, but I'm just gonna focus on one today. Maybe in the future we'll do a whole series on sex or whatever, but for today we're going to focus on one thing, and it's one thing that I know that most people in our society believe now, and it's having sex before you're married. And I say this, you look at the statistics, that 80% of people today sleep with someone before they're married. 80%. So most people, even if they would say, oh yeah, no, I don't believe in that, they still do it, right? So I'm just saying this, let's just poke that, that one that most people in our society think is right. But what the Bible actually says is that you're supposed to wait for marriage. In Genesis 2.24, you read things like, like God creating marriage at the very beginning. He says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. In Hebrews 13.4, it says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Pretty clear stuff. Pretty clear stuff. 
what the Bible says. The Bible makes it clear if you read through the totality of it, is that sex is God created for marriage between one man and one woman. And I think the thing is, is that most people aren't sex positive enough because God created this beautiful, powerful thing that you're not just supposed to have with anybody. It's supposed to be reserved for a covenant, a committed relationship for a lifetime because it's so powerful and so good. And what's interesting is that um, statistics show us that when you actually wait till marriage, it makes marriage and life better. Okay, this is not just me. This is what all the psychologists, social scientists have observed. That when you wait till marriage, it means that when you do get married, you'll have better sex and more sex. You'll be more satisfied, and you'll have a greater and deeper emotional connection with your spouse. It says, um, the, the statistics tell us, that should you wait till you get married, it um, makes it so that you'll... So I'm sorry, let me put it in the the other way. That if you live together before you're married, then you're more likely to break up before you get married. You're um, uh, more likely, five times more likely to have an affair, one or either you or your partner, and you're much more likely to get divorced when you do get married. That's what the statistics tell us. There's this partial truth going around that Christians divorce at the same rate as non-Christians. About half the time, 50% of the time. And just if you look at real quick, it looks like that's true. But if you compare Christians who wait till marriage to those who don't, those who don't divorce at about a rate of, or they, they will stay together for a rate of about 49%. Right? The national average, right? But if you wait till marriage, it's actually a 79% chance that you will stay together for a lifetime. Almost four out of five if you do it God's way. It's almost like what God says works. It does. It does. So the logic that our world tells you today is that you should take it for a test drive. But your future spouse is not a Honda Civic. Okay? I'm serious. You shouldn't be test driving sex because sex is actually the easier thing to figure out. Okay? You're worried, are you compatible? You can figure it out, okay? I promise. I promise. What, what the, real, <laughs> the other thing people say is, like, well, what if they have bad habits? I want to live together and find out. Your spouse will have bad habits that are gross, that you don't like, and so will you, okay? You're going to have to figure that out either way. But, but when you wait, and, and, and what you should do is, is not test drive sex. You should text, test drive commitment. That's what you really need to know. Will this person be committed to me? Do they have the character that it takes so that we'll be committed to each other for a lifetime in sickness and in health till death do his part? And what is one of the greatest tests of commitment I will wait for you and only you as long as it takes till we're married. That's why God set it up that way. If, on the other hand, you don't wait till marriage, then what you're starting your relationship on is having one foot out the door. I like you, and I'll live with you, and and we'll give you maybe the best part of me, but just in case, I want an escape hatch. And guess what? They're like, "Mm, I feel the same way about you. That's what most of the modern relationships are. 80% of modern relationships are based that way. So what does that do? That's the foundation for your relationship. So when things get really hard in your relationship, and they will, I promise, when you're fighting and angry and things are hard, you're already like, you've had one foot out the door from the beginning, and so have I. Boom, done. That's what happens. 
But if instead you're like, I'm not going to give you myself until I know you're 100% in and we're both jumping in with both feet, then when it, things do get hard, you're going to be like, well, what else are we going to do? we got to figure it out. we got to argue. we got to fight. we got to figure out those habits because they're disgusting. We're going to go see a counselor. We're going to the marriage retreat. We'll talk to the pastor so that we can figure it out. And then you're willing to stay through it no matter what. I know that this is a hard word, but what statistics tell us is that the Bible works when it comes to sex. God didn't give us all these rules and make marriage and and sex the way it is to make it hard for us. He did it to make it better for us because he loves us. When it comes to this third part, which is maybe the most controversial, I get it. Some of you already tuned off. But, but, But the truth is that God's word works. It works. And God's work Word never stops working. And in fact, that's what our big idea is today. You might think it's outdated because you don't like it, but it isn't. It still works today just like it did thousands of years ago. God's word never stops working. I want you to understand this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We read, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is alive and active. Now, I need to say this because we're going to get to it in a minute, but while we were talking about divorce and marriage, I know that there are some of you who are like, well, we didn't wait. (laughs) Or, hey, we're living together right now. I get it. 80%. 80% of you. Do you know what the Bible also says? that there is forgiveness and grace and healing and God can make things right. Even if you didn't have the right foundation, today God can be the foundation and the Bible can, okay? I'm telling you this. You don't have to let your past determine your future. God can change it. That's what the Bible says. And I'm saying this because the word of God is alive and active. I am a sinner up here. I am imperfect. I yelled at my kids hard this morning. I had to apologize to them, right? We're all sinners here. And yet we have the word of God because it's not what we want sometimes. It's alive and active today. God, for some reason, chose to work through a book. It's really 66 books, but that's what God chose, to work through these books. The word of God works uh, with his spirit of God working through the people of God. So he does it. That, that phrase says it's alive and active. The word active is the Greek word energos, from which we get the English word energy. There's an energy, there's a power, there's something that happens that's effective as we read the word of God. That's why we read it and we get convicted of things. We read it and it tells us to do something different than what our self tells us. And that's why we need it. Because it's alive and active. It's not outdated, old and dead. It's alive and active. Look at the, the next metaphor that... This verse uses, it says that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. Sharper than any double-edged sword. I was just thinking about this this week, so I reached out to Bobby. You guys know Bobby Brunswick. I was like, hey, any, any chance you have a sword? I know it's a long shot, and he's like, I got a sword. <laughs> Isn't that just like Bobby? I mean, so here's a sword. Okay, this is a double-edged sword. This is probably a little bit longer than the swords that this passage is talking about. Those ones were maybe a little shorter, but they were swords that everybody had, okay? Even when Jesus got arrested, Peter had a sword at his side. The disciples carried swords. 
The Roman centurions who were everywhere in the ancient world had swords. You saw them all the time. And the centurions had it because a sword is for hand-to-hand combat, right? If somebody's distant, you can use a javelin, okay? But it doesn't say the word of God is a javelin. It doesn't say the word of God is a catapult. It's like, eh, shoot him over there. It says the word of God is a double-edged sword, sharper than it. Because you use that for hand-to-hand combat. It's when you're close. You're right up against it, right? And that's what God's word can do for us. It is like that. And you're like, whoa. Because sometimes we're like, parry here, block that. I don't want the word of God coming into my life right now. But that's what it does. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. For hand-to-hand combat. It's, it's getting in there, fighting you sometimes. That's what God does. That's what God does through his word. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, it doesn't say it's as sharp as a double-edged sword. What does it say? Sharper. And I was like, what's sharper than a double-edged sword? So I reached out to some of my neighbors. Two of them are doctors. And they gave me a scalpel. That's sharper than a double-edged sword, right? It's very, very sharp. And just like this passage says, to cut between joints and marrow... We're talking about a surgical blade, as precise as you can get. Because, yes, the blade will hurt you in order to heal you. Here's the thing about God's word. It cuts. It's precise. You Sometimes you're like, why? But you go undergo surgery to get rid of an infection, to get rid of a cancer that's ruining your life. And it cuts out just what's needed, removes the bad stuff, and puts the good stuff in if that's needed. That's what a surgical blade does. And God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's so sharp it can pierce between your soul and spirit. That's what it says. It's sharp because that's what God does for us. Let me tell you, it hurts sometimes. But you got to get hurt before you can get healed. We all have bad stuff in our life that needs to get removed. And we need someone who's an expert surgeon to come in and do the job for us can't get surgery on yourself, right? It's what God's word does for us. I'm telling you this because you might not like what I'm preaching today, but it's God's word. He wants to heal you. You might not like what you read in the Bible or hear in a sermon, but if God is working through his word, it might not feel good, but it is for your good. It's for your good. It's like this scalpel. Remember that. The word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it always works. It always works. It's always good. And that's why we really need to try it. I want you to watch this video right now from Kane McCord, who was in our first service today. Hi, everyone. My name is Kane McCord, and my family and I have been attending Arise Church Denver for about the last 10 years. When I read the Bible and live my life in accordance to what it tells me, my life is better. And so I think of Proverbs like Proverbs 3, 5 which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How many times have you had something bad happen to you and you tried to rationalize it, you tried to think your way out of it and it just never made sense. But then several months or years later, you realize that it was actually something preparing you for a future that was even greater. I think of Proverbs 1.8. This is one of my personal favorites. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. I like this one because I have three daughters and I'm often telling them, to bring a jacket or a hoodie to the soccer field. And when they're inevitably over there shivering without that jacket or hoodie, I just look at them and go, you see, dad knew. Um, And it's not just the Proverbs. I think about one that's really relevant for me personally, which is Ecclesiastics 5. 
whoever loves money never has enough and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. I don't know about you, but how many of you have friends or colleagues that are very successful that have ever once told you, you know the one problem I have in my life? My job pays me too much money or I have more money than I know what to do with. Of course not. We continue to chase, we continue to seek it, thinking that it will bring us happy, happiness. Why do I mention these Proverbs and Ecclesiastics? Because for me, it shows me that the Bible's true, that I can trust it, that in the modern day 2022, when I do more things that the Bible tells me, my life gets better. And I'll leave you with this. Run the experiment for yourself. Don't take mine or Matt or anyone else's word for it. Read the Proverbs and do what they say, and then ask yourself, did my life get better or did it get worse? And you might even take a risk and do something that is the opposite, perhaps, of what the Bible recommends. But again, I would tell you when that happens, does your life get better or does it get worse? So again, for me, that's why the Bible's true. It's almost as if whoever put it together designed it that way and had the secret answer key. Thanks, Kane, for doing that video. I like what he said, just, just test it, try it for yourself. Does God work, words work? And, and I think you'll find that God's word never stops working. So put it to the test. And I have a QR code on the screen behind me because I want you to try it. This is a, a code for a Bible reading plan. So get out your phone right now. I'm gonna do this Bible reading plan with you. It's through the Bible app. You can find it. It's just over several days, but you can try it. Just read it. There's some great Bible truths in there that you can take, read, and apply it to your life. See, does it work? And we can do this together as a church. There's a little comment section. If you want to ask a question, you can put it in there. Just comment on the, the passage. You can do that. And let, we can do this together. I'll be on there, and we'll be reading every day. And it starts tomorrow morning. So if you're watching this, we'll, we're going to start on Monday. Um, if you take that QR code, we're all going to do it together just to test this out. I want you to do it. Test it. Try it. Is it good? Does it work? Because I think too many people have said, oh, the Bible's old and outdated, or I don't like it, so they just leave it on the side. And I remember once, years ago when I was living in Nebraska, I went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and I went and got my hair cut by this young gal. She's in her 20s, and I started talking with her. And at, through talking with her, I realized that she had never left the state of Nebraska. In her 20s, I was like, oh my gosh, you haven't like been to Colorado? It's like right next door, you gotta try it. And I was telling her, oh, you gotta go to Colorado. And she's like, well, what would I do in Colorado? I don't know, drive into the mountains. And it was in fall. It was a time like this. And I was like, you got to just drive into the mountains in the fall and see the leaves changing color. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. Anybody done that over the last few weeks? Yeah, it's incredible, right? Do you know what she told me? She's like, we have trees here. We have trees here. I'm like, no, no. Because if you've seen the aspen turning in the mountains, you know that there is a majesty and a beauty to that. Sure, it's fine to see the fall leaves in Lincoln, Nebraska, but that's nothing like that. But until you experience it for yourself, you don't know the beauty and the majesty and the power of it. And I think the same is true with God's word. You got to try it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Like Cain said, don't take his word for it. Try it for yourself. See if God's word is good. And what I think you're going to find is not only does God's word tell you how to live, it does. But even more than that, it tells us about Jesus. From page one to the end, it's all about Jesus. Jesus said, the scriptures testify about me. And that's why at the very beginning in Genesis chapter one, it says that God spoke a word and the whole universe was created. But in the beginning of the New Testament, it says that that same word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
that God's word took on human form, that power of God, and Jesus walked around not just to teach and say what God has to say, but to show us with his life. A life full of love and forgiveness, of grace and mercy, to hang out with sinners like us. And Jesus showed us how to follow the word. He and only he was the perfect one who did everything that God's word required. You and I have all failed and sinned. Whether it's about sex or something else, we're all sinners here. But Jesus was the perfect word of God, who though he was that perfect word of God, went to the cross and died. That's what God's word teaches us. And he died in our place for our sins that we could receive forgiveness and grace and mercy. And if we have been living a different way, we have that grace to start again and again and again if we need it. God always has love for us, and that is what is taught in God's word. And that's why I think you're going to test it and find that God's word never stops working. So I want to close this in prayer right now. Would you close your eyes and bow with me? Lord God, this word today, I hope it's been challenging. I hope it's been convicting. I hope that it's broken down some of the, the wrong thinking we have in our minds. But only to get rid of the bad stuff, Lord God, perform that surgery and restore us, heal us, have a bigger, bolder, stronger faith now because of it. And I pray for those right now who have been convicted by the word of God. Lord God, that they would be convicted, that they would repent and turn to you, but that in that turning, they would find grace and mercy and forgiveness unlike ever before. Because your son Jesus, the word of God, loves us and sees the woman caught in the middle of adultery and says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus loves us in our sin. We thank you for that message, God. Help us to go out walking in it, believing it, trusting it, taking you at your word. Now with eyes closed still, I want to tell you that if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you've been convicted and you know that it's time to come back to him, that the word of God tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's time to open up your mouth with your words to declare Jesus is Lord and receive that gift of forgiveness today. So I want to give you the opportunity to say a simple prayer and receive that gift of forgiveness and declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. So please now repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. I receive your gift of eternal life. I receive your spirit. Help me to follow you and your word even when things get hard. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time, if Jesus today now is your Lord and Savior, we want to celebrate with you. So on the count of three, would you raise your hand into the air? One, two, three. Put that hand into the air so we can celebrate with you. If we see someone, praise God, praise God. Let's celebrate. Woo! Lord God, we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you for giving us your word to show us a better way to live. We want to walk not only in your way, but in your mercy today. We're going to take you at your word. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with us right now? Now remember, if you have one of those um, 
cards for Maximize that you drop in, in the white boxes on your way out. We'll start that Bible reading plan tomorrow, and let's sing together right now. If you need prayer, we'll have the prayer team available in the back as well for anything that you need prayer for. And I'll turn it back over to you guys.